Hello and welcome to the PR Week. That's PR Week's weekly roundup of everything that matters in the world of PR and communications. I'm Frank Washcook, PR Week's executive editor, and I'm joined by a bunch of special guests, Ewan Larkin, Diana Bradley, Jess Ruderman, and MK Kalanick. So thank you for joining us this week. We will have your top news from around the industry coming up. But first, our editorial director, Steve Barrett, is in Cannes at the Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity, where he has been speaking with a number of industry leaders, including the chair of jury for the PR Lions. And so PR Week presents Conversations in Cannes with Steve Barrett. I'm here with Mark Reed, the CEO of WPP. And Mark, uh, great to be here with you in Cannes. We're talking on the Monday morning, obviously, so it's early in the week. But in general, what are you looking forward to this week? And what are the big themes that you think will uh, dovetail uh, the uh, trends and um, what people are going to be talking about? Well, uh, morning, Steve, and uh, thanks for having me on your impromptu and unplanned uh, and unscheduled podcast. Believe me, this is the most Im- impromptu and unplanned podcast. <laughs> I'm delighted to uh, to join you. Look, I think it's going to be a really exciting week for everybody. We've got uh, more than a thousand clients here from across our WPP agencies. We've got a lot of great work entered into the into the award shows from brands like Dove and Coca-Cola, uh, the Honest Egg Company, Nike. So a lot, a lot of our people have uh, work that's, you know, up for evaluated. And ultimately, that's what Cannes is about, isn't it? It's about uh, creativity. And, you know, the organizers have done a great job of expanding uh, the number of categories. Perhaps it's a revenue generation op- opportunity as well. But they've expanded the number of categories to reflect the changes in our business. It now includes creative technology and data and e-commerce and uh, public relations, obviously, which is a critical part of what we're doing with the growth in social media. I think an ever more important part. And then we've got the tech partners here, you know, a massive uh, Amazon uh, presence, We've got the Uber ad business here. We've got retail media owners here. So I think that um, you know it's another great reflection of the the dynamism of our industry and the kind of our place in the intersection of sort of creativity and culture and technology. The tech platforms are here in force as usual, as you said. Amazon seems slightly smaller than last year, and obviously Twitter's not here for obvious reasons. Um, do you think that's partly in due to the struggles the tech sector's been having and some of the, the job cuts and maybe the, the optics of sending a load of people to the south of France? No, I don't know. I mean, look, I think there are some Twitter people here. Probably has more to do with uh, Elon's desire to invest money in B2B marketing. Um, my guess is with uh, Linda Yaccarino sort of as CEO, they'll be back next year in a, in a bigger way because you know, this is the place to talk to the global advertising community about what they're doing. And I think that that people do need to hear from them about how you know they can make Twitter a safer, a, a safer place and a better experience for advertisers. I mean, they're they're on their way, but I think everyone would agree um, they've still got they've still got work to do. You know, Amazon, you're right, but you know Amazon's ad business is bigger than the global newspaper industry, so they're not doing they're not doing too badly. No, they're not. That's sure. That's certainly true. You mentioned some of the campaigns and AI is obviously going to be on everyone's lips, but it's going to be nice to see some actual work rather than yeah. just chat about it because there'll be millions of works ex- words expended on it. What, what What's your take on that? And is there any work 
from the WPP stable that's really genuinely using AI to, to the max? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, from our perspective, I mean, I mean, look, JWT as was entered a piece of work, the next Rembrandt, if you remember it, back in 2016. And uh, last year, uh, the work that Ogilvy and Wavemaker did for, for Mondelez, for Cabri in India around Diwali, you know, used AI really at the heart of the idea. And, and, and the work I mentioned that the AKQA done for Nike has AI at the heart of it. So I think we're going to start to see some work. But what we're not going to see, I don't think yet, is the sort of the generative AI explosion and how that shifts and changes our industry. And maybe a lot of work from generative AI is not going to win awards at Cannes. But I don't think that means it's not going to be fundamental to how we work and how we produce work for clients. There was a survey last week that said 7% of agency jobs would go by 2030. What percentage? 7. 7%. 7%. Yeah. Does that sound realistic to you? Is that in line with what you're thinking? Well, I, look, I don't think we can give predictions on what's going to happen. I'd say it's much easier to identify the jobs that are going to be disrupted by technology than all the new jobs that are going to be created. And I think we are going to see a creative explosion. You know, we're already faced with all of these new channels. You know, we talked about social media channels. We've got retail media channels. We've got Uber taking advertising. We've got the streaming platforms. All of this means our clients need a lot more content. And I think AI is going to be part of the solution for creating the content. But I think what we're seeing with generative AI for the first time is, frankly, computers doing things that we thought only humans could do before. Like We all got that, consumer, that AI could automate a media plan or figure out a target audience or solve sort of mathematical problems. What I don't think any of us expected it to do is be able to write a press release, probably as good as, you know, p- people starting out on their careers in our public relations agencies. And that, I think, is going to be pretty fundamental. And to how we uh, use the technology, and I think it has to be sort of human supervised as well as embraced, how we use it, and, and, and again, in that context, how we train people. Because I, I think the one thing I'd say is that it's great at creating ideas. What the machine doesn't know is whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. And there, I think, there is still a role for, for humans. Of course, yeah. Um, talking about PR and owned media, obviously the PR firms get very engaged about whether they win in their own lions, the PR lions, and sometimes they do better in the other lions. Does it matter at the end of the day? Because most ideas that win here now are based on earned in some form or fashion, wherever the idea is coming from, whether it's creative, media, PR or digital firm. Well, I think it does matter at one level. And I think part of the answer is for for PR firms to embrace the the craft of entering award shows, which is something that I think the creative agencies have or the advertising agencies have learned very cleverly. So I'd say, I'd say there are lots of ideas in PR firms that don't see the light of day because they're not as used to entering them and crafting the story as well as the advertising agencies. But I do think that ideas do matter. You know, if you want to get a story out there, ultimately, you know, you're, you're not just retelling something that someone else has done. You're telling that in a, in a creative way that amplifies the impact. So I think the PR firm should strive to enter and win more awards and you know what you've certainly seen in the last 10 years and you've seen it in the WPP PR firms you know invest much more in creative talent to help clients tell their stories or put their points across in ways that really connect with consumers and embrace social media as well and finally can has always been very associated with purpose yeah and that type of work we're in a very febrile environment especially in the US where 
There's attacks on supposedly anti-woke business or uh, campaigns. What's your take on that? And what are you advising your agencies and to advise their brands about in, in, in that respect? Well, I think we advise brands to stand up for what they believe in, but to make sure that what the, the, the one they're prepared that what they believe in is integral to their business, that there's a reason for them to say it. Secondly, to make sure they're prepared to defend what they're saying if if it comes under attack, if you like. And look, I think purpose has been at the heart of brands and people probably were critical of it, saying it was sort of a lazy way to get the message across. So now I think that rightly it has to be relevant, has to be something that brands believe in and it has to be true to what they're doing as an organization. And so the sort of the lazier ways of embracing purpose are coming under question. That's probably no bad thing, by the way. But I, I do agree with you. I mean, I think that some of what we've seen, you know, should concern us. And some of it is going to force companies to ask themselves some tougher questions before they launch campaigns. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for sharing those thoughts with us. Have a great week. Thanks very much, Stephen. Good to chat to you. Hi, everyone. It's Steve Barrett here, Editorial Director of PR Week at Cannes. Delighted to be here with Joanne Robertson, who was the chair of jury this year and is CEO of Global Markets at Ketchum, and Vicky Chowney, Global Head of Content and Publishing at Hill and Knowlton Strategies. Welcome both. Hi, Steve. Hi. So how's it feel? You're done. Almost dusted. You've got to do the... Uh, event tonight but that's all on you we do we do yeah we're we're bringing our style tonight steve we're bringing our style you know what we're exhausted it's been an incredible this is day six i think that since we arrived in Cannes, and we had three very long days in the judges room Uh, i didn't want to mention in front of the other juries but i managed to get a room with a window this year so uh, at least we were in natural light classic windowless room now we we were we were elevated the pr category is becoming that important we were elevated to a room with a window um but you know what? It is such a privilege to sit in that room with the other nine jurors uh, because the quality of the discussion, the open-mindedness to hear other points of view, other cultural references, you know, there was such an inclusive atmosphere that I think it helped us get to the best work. I feel so energised. I really do. I agree with Joe. It's been a lot and it's been intense, but we really were able to celebrate work that had a return to earned at its core. And I think that is such a positive message for our industry. And I'm so excited to take that back and really start messaging that and making sure that we feel proud of what we can do. Joanne, you were a juror last year, chair of jury this year. What was the difference and what are the big themes of this year, especially you know, compared to, to last year's? Sure. I think we, we spent a lot of time together virtually on WhatsApp before we got here. And we agreed some criteria that we were going to hold each other accountable for. So we were absolutely focused on earned at the core. Uh, We wanted to find work that was living deep in culture, whether that was local culture or a global phenomenon, whatever it was. And we wanted things that had real impact. Now, that could be commercial impact, which we prayed for, uh, societal impact, which would have been incredible. And if we could have got both, then that would have been the dream. But we talked a lot about what we meant by those three things so that we came into it with a real focus and we were all on the same page. 
I'd say the three big themes that came out for us that we talked about on the final day, the first was to say to big brands in particular that purpose alone is not enough. There were some very beautiful purpose campaigns that we saw, but when we put them through the filter, particularly of that last criteria of what have the, what's the impact been many, many of them fell down. So I would say it's so easy to want to rush to enter your creative work, but when you're committing to a cause, long-term societal change, maybe just wait a little bit. Wait until you see more than just interest in the creative idea to actually see people's opinions and behaviour shift. So that was the first one. The second was... Just on that, mm. Can has kind of been criticised in the past for having far too much purposeful work, which to your point, doesn't necessarily create an impact. Was there some sort of central edict that went out this year? Because I've heard it across a few other categories as well. No, look, I think we're all human. So I think we've, I personally would say I've reacted to the discussion after Cannes each year. And I'd say I fell into the trap that I think a lot of jurors and juries fall into this time last year, where I fell in love with a piece of work because of the cause, right? Because I truly believe that the cause is something that should fundamentally, we should be shifting. But I look back on that now and I think, if I'd had the criteria we had this year, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd have had a moment of a filter where I've said, it's not changing anything. So I think we've just, there was no central edict there. In fact, I was surprised at how can just let us run with it as presidents and as juries. Um, but I think we've come to a point as a industry where we're like, okay, we should celebrate brand purpose work, but it should be the very best and stuff that's shifting now real world issues. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think that it's also reflective of a maturity of our understanding of what brand purpose is and should be. We're asking better questions and we're more aware of people and brands trying to use that to get you know, more attention in award shows like this. So it's just that, for me, it's an organic evolution of, of what that means and how it should be used. Yeah, and sorry, Joanne, I interrupted no, not you. Uh, our second theme was all around uh, simplicity is beautiful. You know, we really felt that some of the campaigns were built off just really simple human insights they really you could tell the teams really understood what was happening culturally in the moment either in their market or in their industry and you could see that they really layered the campaign but through a simple creative piece at the beginning there's not enough of that and then the the final one that um we really focused on which actually i'm going to let vicky talk about because she added this one but this is about content <laughs> yeah so um content you know, it is very present in a lot of our award winners. But I think we were very mindful of the fact that content is PR when it's specifically designed to create a conversation, a new conversation, revisit an old conversation that had that needs more discussion, um, but really get people talking about it. And when you look at particularly our top performers, they did that so well. Um, and some of them didn't use content at all. So it's almost this this kind of new uh, evaluation of what content is and should be within a PR context. But we were really kind of strict on the fact that it needed to be earned in its nature. Joanne, 
PR Week's readers are in the PR industry. They work for PR agencies and in-house at brands. They will, it will not have gone unnoticed that only 12% of the lines went to PR firms, and that's a constant sort of navel-gazing exercise we indulge in most years. And we've already seen PR firms win in other categories. Um, but it, this seems like a particularly low haul for, for the PR agencies themselves. What's your message to them? I'd start with a positive. You know, I think there are four... Uh, I'm a journalist. I can't start I with a positive. Know. <laughs> uh, there are four uh, Lions awarded for lead creative ideation uh, that have gone to Ketchum and Edelman, uh, both out of the UK, actually. So as a proud Londoner, uh, I'll give them a shout out. And so that's evolving. We're starting to see us win as the lead creator. Um, I think we've got three silvers and a bronze for the uh, PR agencies in that regard. But part of this is a numbers game, right? So there's 1,600 entries and the vast majority of those entries come from ad agencies. And I think maybe we need to do more education uh, in every market about what we're looking for it can because I wonder if there's a barrier that people think if it's a small campaign out of a small market that it won't be considered when actually if it has the creative excellence and it meets the criteria it could absolutely be successful here and I see work all the time coming out of the PR world where the PR agency is the lead creator I'm not seeing it here so I do think there's a piece about our confidence as an industry uh, and us really thinking about taking a look at our work and maybe they, everyone can look at it. Is this earned at the core? Is it deep in culture? And have we really had commercial or societal impact? And if we have, it will be considered. I would also add to that the point about the value of investing time in creating case study videos. When you look at the ad agencies, they have teams of people spending hours of time on their case study videos and their supporting content and you can see how much that just works for them. Um, and so I think we need to, we need to, as an industry, invest the same because our work is just as good. Is that why, because there were quite a lot of PR firms leading on idea creation in the shortlist and they didn't come through for, with Lions, was that because the films weren't good enough or be, no. to, to Vicky's point there? Or? I think it's because the work wasn't wasn't there in comparison to the others and look I think we have to be really self-aware as an industry there's so much conversion across Marcoms and actually our ad industry brothers and sisters are really realizing that earned at the core is the future yeah sure and there's we don't have any right to continue to be the lead choice in that space so we need to innovate. We need to push ourselves. We need to, I would never say we need to be like the ad agencies. Absolutely not. But there are some things that they have inherent in their behaviors, that confidence to really push clients, that confidence to fight for an idea that you think is something that's really going to drive impact for a brand. So, you know, we don't have a right to this space forever. And if we want to win and lead, we need to push ourselves and our teams harder. That's a good point. PR doesn't own earned media, to coin a phrase. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Vicky, you're a Brit working in America. And um, our US readers obviously will look at this and see only 23% of the lines came from the US, 17% uh, from the UK. That's a good performance for the UK compared to prior years. Was that because we got a bunch of Brits on the jury or what was... No. What, what, what do you think? What a what? suggestion. <laughs> um, 
No, I think it's, uh, I think we've got a great representation of really diverse work. And I think that the countries who performed well, to Joe's point, really dug into the heart of their own culture. And whether it was a big insight based on something to do with society or a small one, you know, those who thought audience first were the ones who performed. And that really is the heart of it. And can I just can I just add, Steve? Like as we look at our even just for our silvers, like forget the bronzes, our silvers, our golds, our Grand Prix, we have representation from almost everywhere: North America, UK, Europe, Asia, Africa, Latin America. So it's a really diverse melting pot of work. And actually, I think one of the most powerful things about our jury was it was incredibly diverse, and we really listened to each other. So if we didn't understand why something was culturally relevant we really listened and if we didn't have someone in the room who could explain it to us we went and we asked questions back so that we could really get deep in culture because that was one of our key criteria so we really I think we awarded a really diverse range of work yeah it was first PR line for Kenya I think and you also got a chance to celebrate English football Joanne so that's, oh. a, that's a good thing isn't it if the jury had chosen that as the Grand Prix that would have oh my god my family would never have forgiven me to up there celebrating English football but you know that's another that's a great example of people seeking to understand why that word and that song was so culturally relevant in England, but also the bravery of Nike giving the crown of bringing football home to the women's team. I mean, it couldn't have been more beautiful from my perspective. Well, let's talk about the Grand Prix winner. It was uh, self-love bouquet for DoorDash by an agency called Gut Los Angeles. On this one, they won four lines, actually. One out of Miami, one out of Sao Paulo, one out of uh, L.A. Tell us about why that was the winner. Why was that the best so, of the best this year? I mean, it was the winner because it met all our criteria through creative excellence. I think what we really loved about it was how singular-minded they were about their audience insight. So, uh, And they also their... their their own knowledge of their own business in terms of what would resonate. So one of their big categories is flower bouquets. And it was coming up to Valentine's Day, obviously a big uh, moment for them. And they said to themselves, how can we engage with 27% of our audience who are single on this day? And that uh, cultural melting point was ignited by Miley Cyrus song I can buy myself flowers and that exploded particularly in the US but in many markets around the world and so they came up with this amazing idea of a self love bouquet so a bouquet of flowers that right in the middle had an incredible rose vibrator and so there was a rumour that the jurors all got a free one sent was that well, true well if DoorDash are listening to this one of the things I said is if I, if I had been living in America I'd have been ordering myself one unfortunately I'm not single but I'd still have wanted one um, but I think that earned storytelling was absolutely at the core that deep cultural moment it was only beautiful at that moment for all the reasons I just said but actually when we looked at the business results, what that actually did for their business, it blew us away. So sold out uh, in multiple cities, one of their best periods ever. And it made us laugh, it made us smile. It was a celebration of single women's self-love and we fell in love with it. It also for me is a lovely example of a piece of work that doesn't have to be a 12-month campaign, require millions of investment or multiple teams and stakeholders. It is simple 
and you can explain it in a sentence. Yeah, and you said there were a few fun campaigns. I think the uh, McHack. Meal uh, McHack. McHack from Edelman, for example. So another example. I was a just, big fan of that in the room. Yeah, not just concentrating on purpose. You, I noticed when I saw the slide for the winner, there was a th- something about the this many hundred thousand earned impressions. What is an earned impression? And because people still use those uh, they do. equivalencies I mean, in their entries, and it, to, before they're meaningless, we go, uh, aren't Before they? we go on to that, if a PR agency, in fact, if any agency in any category and any in the world puts up an advertising equivalent, we all groan yeah, in the room. Exactly. And so Same many are PR still reports. doing that. And look, here's what I didn't know before I sat on this jury last year and then again this year. It's impo- this show's about rewarding creative excellence and we want to do creative excellence that has impact. When it comes to results, we can't compare. You know, you look at an incredible campaign, the um, why is this ad a swiggy ad, right, out of India? You look at the results on that and you are blown away. The numbers are gigantic. But then you look at Optink out of Germany, like... The, all those like stats are all much smaller. So you're never comparing apples with apples. But when you boil it down to impact, then it's much easier to compare. What did this actually do for the brand? What did it do for the brand reputationally, commercially? What did it do for society? Then you can start to see something meaningful and different. So results are interesting. And we talked about them a little bit, but they weren't defining. Yeah, they're, they're not effectiveness awards, they're creativity. No. Yeah, agree, agreed. Um, Vicky, maybe talk about some of the campaigns that were vying for the Grand Prix. Um, there, were, there was Home by Nike, Runner 321 from Adidas, and uh, I think, Joanne, you mentioned Postponed Day as one of the best pure PR campaigns in the category. So, yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to award Postponed Day because that falls into the charity category. Um, and the Grand Prix for PR is reserved for commercial work. Okay, I um, didn't realise that. But Postponed Day, we all completely fell in love with. It is an exceptional piece of work, um, both in its complexity and singularity. If you can, if you kind of follow my meaning there, because the the goal is to unite thirty breast cancer charities around the world to remind people that constantly postponing your mammogram is very dangerous. So for a period of two weeks, they postponed International Breast Cancer Day every day to make this point. And not only did they do that, they were able to keep media attention throughout that period. Can you imagine that? Every day for 15 days. Um, and the, the beautiful thing about that work is not just the numbers and the reach, we just spoke to that, but the vast increase in women getting mammograms all around the world. That is true impact, wonderful media relations. Um, and to Joe's point about ticking multiple boxes, that really did it for us. You yeah. Know? yeah, really important. It won three lions, including two golds. So a uh, great piece of work. Uh, we talked a bit about home already. T- tell us about Runner 321. So Runner 321 from Adidas is a campaign for inclusion and representation for people with Down syndrome. And it was really about reserving the Beb 321 for runners with Down syndrome. Uh, incredibly moving campaign, lots of exposure. One of the things we loved about it was the fact that they got multiple competitors to also agree to hold uh, Bib 321. Uh, so we loved it. 
uh, it was earned at the core, it was deep in culture. For us, it was in the show too early. The impact, yes, it's raised some awareness, but it's not fundamentally changed anything yet. And I would say to that team, you know, stay committed, build a legacy here and then come back because that absolutely could be Grand Prix winning. All right, and just to finish up, any final thoughts, especially for the PR sector, uh, principally the people listening to this? Yeah, I mean, look, let's celebrate the fact that two PR firms have been awarded... Including Ketchum Lions, I know, I'm so proud. uh, ...have been awarded Lions uh, as the creative ideators. Like, that is progress we should celebrate. Um, Look at your work. Look at the work you're most proud of from a creative excellence point of view that's earned at the core, that's deep in culture and that you can prove had some impact for your that business or that organisation because I know there is so much more work out there in PR that could be winning here. Uh, and we need to help each other, right? Yes, we're competitors uh, when it comes to like winning clients and, and doing work, but when we come to Cannes, we're celebrating each other. We're celebrating the best of the work. So I'm sure Vicky and I... Even Ketchum and Edelman. Even Ketchum and Edelman. Let me tell you, <laughs> Ketchum and Edelman, respect there. But yeah, I think any juror who's ever served on a jury would be willing to help other agencies to think through how to get it right here because part of it is just about getting it right here uh, and entering in the first place but we're a great industry we just have to keep evolving keep innovating and celebrating the best work vicky final thoughts my final thoughts is just double clicking on that point around meaningful work not needing to be purpose-driven Um, You know, making someone feel something, smile, laugh, be surprised, you know, that is is really powerful. And I I love to see that we brought some of that back in this year. And I would encourage people to continue to push for that because there's real value in it. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Joanne. Good luck at the ceremony and, and try and enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for all of that, Steve. Let's do a quick roundup of the top marketing and communications news of the week. So, Diana Bradley, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, one of the more interesting campaigns you've seen this week? So, Frito Lay um, launched a TikTok channel called at Flavor F L V R underscore US uh, six months ago, but it already has 1.1 million followers. So, um, I spoke with Chris Bellinger who is VP of Creative and Digital at Frito-Lay North America and head of its in-house agency, D3. And he told me a little bit about how the whole thing came about and how they approached the channel. So in total, they've made over 1,800 videos. Um, So some of the most popular videos have included recipes such as Cheetos baked feta pasta, Frito's chili cheese cloud pizza. Sorry, Frito's baked pasta. Yeah, they incorporate... Are you going to try that one at home or, or no? It sounds kind of good. Um, hmm. So some of these have um, 13 million views, which is impressive. Um, so yeah, the story includes kind of like the backstory about how they make the content and their that's, approach to it. That's interesting. And if you do end up making the feta pasta, you have to bring in enough for everybody. So... We'll hold you to that. Okay, speaking of TikToks, our intern, MK Kalanick, is here with us. And and I'm told you're making a TikTok about your intern experience. Yes, I am. I commute from Fairfield, Connecticut. So it starts at 5.46 a.m. And it basically just covers everything I do when I'm here in the building. 
All right. Well, we're looking forward to that as well. And we'll come back to you in a second. But first, let's go to you and Larkin, uh, who's going to tell us about a top industry executive changing roles. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Uh, Stacy Tank is leaving the world's second largest brewer, Heineken, at the start of August. For the past three years, she spent the time serving as the company's chief transformation and corporate affairs officer based out of their headquarters in Amsterdam, Netherlands. But she's decided to leave the brewer to rejoin her family, who moved to the U.S. a year ago uh, due to one to the illness of one of her children. They're separating her responsibilities, that being corporate affairs and transformation, into two distinct roles moving forward. Coca-Cola's Joanna Price, who's their chief of public affairs, communications, and sustainability, is starting to oversee corporate affairs on July 1st. While Jasper Hamaker, Heineken's senior director of global transformation, will assume control of the transformation network. Stacy's new role in the U.S. she's promised us is coming soon. So looking forward to see where she lines up. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be. She's one of the better known people throughout the industry. So, yeah, looking to see where where she ends up. OK, going to kick it over to Jess Ruderman for a second, who's going to tell us about uh, some prominent uh, agency layoffs. Yeah, we got some more layoff news. I know we reported on a little earlier this year, Weber Shandwick and also Praytel had some layoffs, all relatively minor in comparison to some other companies. Meta and Spotify were other companies that had layoffs earlier this year, including a longstanding Wii client, which is Microsoft, had significant layoffs. They had a reduction of about 10,000 jobs earlier this year in January. But we announced that um, they were reducing 5% of their global workforce. Um, North American employees received an email on last Wednesday notifying them that you know, that they were no longer working with them. Some people took to LinkedIn to express how upset they were about the loss of their job and that they were open and looking for work. A lot of similar to how Praytel had mentioned in the CEO had mentioned when they were doing reductions, they were looking to supply the people that were losing their jobs with other work going forward. And that was the call out that a lot of people were um, relating to on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, that's more on the layoff front. Hopefully we won't have more going forward. Thanks for that story, Jess. Uh, and one last thing to ask the team about. MK, what were your reactions to uh, covering the Can Lions for the first time? I really liked Edelman's um, Dove Canada Keep the Grey campaign, as well as Dove Thailand's Let Her Grow campaign. Okay, definitely some interesting work that uh, that won awards over in the south of France. So thank you uh, to the rest of the PR Week team for joining us on this special edition of the PR Week podcast. Mm-hmm.